You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Rent to Own. Turn to Matthew chapter 27. One of the things, unfortunately, that gets left out and is not very politically correct is this whole thing of sin. Okay? I cannot help you, the scriptures cannot help you, Jesus cannot help you, unless you are a sinner. If you're not a sinner, we got nothing for you. Because you got to get lost before you can get found. You got to be dead before you can be made alive. I mean, you got to come to a point and say, you know what? Sin is what screwed the world up. It's what screwed my life up. I get it. I'm a sinner. Sin is the problem. Now there is a diagnosis for that. There's a remedy for that. And we're going to look at that today. Let me start in here in Matthew 27 and read along here for the sake of time. We're going to jump in in verse 33. Jesus is being crucified. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots. But put a sign over him, they're walking by, blaspheming. And then down to verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's a whole sermon in itself. There's a moment in time here when God literally abandons his son. You would think there's not a parent listening who would actually do this. It happens along the way, but just turned his back on him for our sake. Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then something extraordinary happened. If you've got a King James Version, it may read a little different. But in the New King James Version, it says this, then, the second he gives up the ghost, he dies. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn, or in the King James Version it says, rent in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Something happened simultaneous with Jesus dying in a building not too far away, the temple, where there was a massive curtain, almost like a wall, inside the temple in the Holy of Holies. There's the holy place, then there's the Holy of Holies. And this is a place where only the high priest could go once a year. If you want to go read about this in Exodus or Leviticus, you can go read this whole thing. And sometimes, honestly, I go back and read this stuff. I'm like, what in the world is all this about? You ever start reading your Bible, say, I'm going to read all the way through. You go, Genesis, that's okay. Get to Leviticus and then kind of bottom out. And you go, holy cow. And there were some holy cows involved, but (laughs) you go, this is nuts. How could anybody have complied with this? All these rituals and sacrifice. It was nothing but a big slaughterhouse barbecue, basically. And you got blood everywhere and you got it on and on and on. You go, what was the purpose of all this? This all was set up partially to show us The need for Christ being such a simple thing. You have no idea how good you've got it if you're a Christian this side of the cross. 
Because what happened when Jesus died on that cross and that veil, and you can't rip it. I mean, a piece of cloth, you say, well, you just rip it. This was a wall of fabric. And the fact that it was not ripped from bottom to the top, somebody had to be on top to rip it. Who ripped it? God himself said, it's open. So something extraordinary happened, not just on the cross, but in a building not too far away from where Jesus was crucified. And it's in a temple where an area was exposed that had never been exposed before, except to one man who had to make sure his stuff was together before he went in there on the Day of Atonement once a year with the sacrificial blood, sacrifice, making atonement for the sins of the people. And all of a sudden, it's wide open. Now, how long it took him to figure this out, I don't know, because you didn't have a lot of people exposed to that, so you could kind of keep it quiet if you were trying to. But this curtain is ripped, and now it is open. Now, what does that mean to us? That the presence of God, this holy place, and inside there was the Ark of the Covenant, was the rod that budded, that Aaron's rod was in there, just accoutrements, basically, some religious things. And that represented the presence of God on the planet. And when Jesus died, something happened not just in that room, but something happened in heaven itself. A payment was made that had to be made for that to all go away once and for all. I've been at this for a very long time, and I still don't completely understand what happened. And you say, but you preach the same old story all the time. Isn't that just it? The longer you do this, the longer you read your Bible, the longer you pray, the longer you study, the more meaning. It's kind of like being married. You think you got married and you said, I do, and I'm married. I understand it all. No, you don't. Right? It's an unfolding. You go, wow, I thought marriage was this. And then it just gets deeper and deeper and more profound and more whatever you think it gets, but it changes. This thing, there is no end to it. And you read your Bible and you go, oh my gosh, that goes with that. And then you read it again and you go, and that goes with that. You say, well, I've read it once, I'm done. You are never done. And no matter how much you study this and how much you think you've figured it out, when you die or Jesus comes back and you look him in the eyes, and as 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, we will know even as also we are known, you will still have an oh, aha moment where you're like, wow, and then that meant that and all that goes together. It's extraordinary. It's exceedingly, abundantly above anything we could ever ask or think. There is more going on here. Keep studying, keep reading, keep digging. So this veil is rent. Mark says, then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Same thing. That's in Mark 15, 38. And then Luke 23, 45. The sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, obviously. Now go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and I'm going to skip through this and jump to another passage. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized in his death, and he goes on to explain that. Then down in verse 5, he says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be what? Slaves of sin. Now, if I went around the room and started wherever, and I picked one person, and I said, you are a slave to sin, what sin are you a slave to? If you're going to be a slave to sin, what is your sin? Everybody's got one, right? Doesn't take long to figure out what it is. You know if you were going to be a slave to a sin, you know what your deal is, okay? Everybody got that in mind? You don't have to be a slave to that sin anymore. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You don't have to live and die a slave to sin. 
Now here's how you change this. Go down to verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. It doesn't mean, well, I got grace. So no matter what I'm a slave to, if I do everything I want to do, he's going to forgive me anyway. So let's eat, drink, be married tomorrow, we die, party. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? And this is the terminology used. Whoever it is you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So the opposite of obedience leading to righteousness is to disobey and sin. And this is something that we are all doing every day, all the time, ad infinitum. You make decisions. I'm going to think this. I'm not going to think this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to feel this way. I'm going to be angry, bitter, resentful. All the things of the flesh come out. I'm going to flip that guy off in traffic or I'm not. And that doesn't mean just because you didn't do it. If you did it inside, you still flipped him off. He just didn't get it. Right? It's what goes on in us. And you say, well, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. You have got power to overcome this and be set free from this slavery. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now here's where we're going today. I'm not interested in helping anyone cease being a slave. And you're not going to like this. Slavery is a horrible thing unless it's a great thing, and in this case, it is a great thing. Being a slave to a horrible master is a horrible thing, but being the slave of a God master is a great thing. And the way these things work, there was back in the day, and I don't have time to go into all of this, but a slave could literally be set free by his owner. And when a slave was set free by his owner, the slave had an option. He could say, okay, I understand I'm free to go. But he could go back to his master and say this, no one has ever taken better care of me than you. And I publicly want to have a notch put on my ear to say to everyone who sees me that this is a slave who was set free and chose to keep the same master that he had and a public mark is put on his ear so that when you see him, you go, not just his story, but it says something about his master. When you live free, you say something about your master. And when you serve sin, you say something about that master. And you cannot serve two masters. So when you live like hell, what you are saying to the world is, well, yeah, I say God is my master, but I really got a better master than him, and I'm doing what he wants me to do because I like his way better. So keep doing whatever the hell you want to do, like I'm doing, living like hell, because you don't need my Jesus, because my Jesus, my God, my Father, can't outdo my old master. So you keep doing what you do, you don't need my Jesus. You hear what I'm saying, but watch what I'm doing, stay away from Jesus, because he'll take you away from this life. But you get a new master, you turn yourself into God and say, look, I understand you've set me free, but I don't have anywhere to go. And nobody's ever gonna take better. What do we sing this song we sang today? Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Keep reading here. Verse 17 again. This is Romans 6. 
But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weaknesses of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You used to turn your body over to the enemy and say, well, do what you want. I'll do whatever you want me to do. If it feels good, do it. You know what? It just doesn't feel good very long. And whatever sin you've got that you've cast it all in and said, well, I'm going to chase this sin, it ain't working. I don't have to ask you if it's working. It doesn't work. And it always escalates. It always graduates. It deteriorates. It goes to something worse and worse and worse. You say, well, I want to be free. There is no freedom without responsibility. It doesn't exist. And the responsibility we have is to say, okay, God, I don't want to be a slave to sin. But I think being a slave, as it turns out, is the best thing for me. But I just need a new master. Keep reading, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? What good came from it? God can bring good from your past. He has a way of doing that. But he usually has to work in spite of your past, not going, oh, wow, good for you. That was a smart choice, wasn't it? But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin, ever heard this verse? This is the context. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You pay for sin, eternal life is a gift. You can't afford sin. It's too expensive. And you can't afford eternal life because it's a gift. Get you some eternal life. And the great thing that I didn't understand early on in my life, I didn't understand that eternal life began now. It wasn't something that happened when you died. It begins now. It's not just about life. It's about life more abundantly. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. And this will go back to what I was trying to describe a little bit in the temple, what happened there. Hebrews chapter 9. Now, what happens, and don't get bogged down in Hebrews, and I recommend if you're going to read Leviticus, something like that, that you jump into Hebrews simultaneously, and it'll help you understand what's going on. In Hebrews chapter 9, he's actually writing to Hebrews, so that gives you some context. Verse 1, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, and this is this mobile home for God. This tent, they'd set it up, tear it down, had all these curtains in the holy places. A tabernacle was prepared. The first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second what? Veil. The part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, and which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went in the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. All year long they'd go in that outer area. But into the second part, the holy of holies, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for all the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Now look at that verse again. 
the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. So until Jesus shows up, dies on the cross, the veil is rent, split in two, no one could understand how you could get in. Not just get in the Holy of Holies, but the Holy of Holies get in you. Now track with me, keep reading here. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. So it didn't work, and it was set up to prove that it didn't work, and that something better had to come. And I do want to go back and point this out. And I know this doesn't make sense to people sometimes, but I am not backing off the blood. You have nothing without the blood of Jesus. You say, I don't understand that. Believe it anyway. You will understand by and by. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Sin cannot be removed. It is messy. It is gory. It doesn't make sense to people, but it is the deal. If I slit your wrists and let all the blood come out of your body, you are dead. There is life in the blood. And when God himself leaves heaven, born of a virgin, lives a sinless life, dies on the cross, and sheds his blood, it is the perfect blood. It is the only blood. It's not bulls. It's not human sacrifice. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. But it is finally a human being sacrificed, the only one that was worthy to die, the only blood that would ultimately appease God because he's a holy God and someone's got to pay. And blood is involved. It's just the way it is. Okay, but look at verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption." For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And then jump down here. I wish I had time to read all this stuff. Verse 23, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with much better sacrifices. There is a place in heaven, and the place that was set up on earth was to mirror that. And so the high priest would go in year after year and make these sacrifices. And then Jesus shows up as the ultimate high priest, walks into the Holy of Holies, not here so much as in heaven and says, I got the blood it takes to fix this. So enough already. Split the curtain, open it up. It's available to everybody. Life, eternal life, forgiveness, mercy. This isn't eloquence that talks people in this. You have got to come and realize I am a sinner. Jesus is the only way. All this stuff is real. I believe it. I accept it. Let's do this thing. And everybody else goes, wow, they're crazy people. Where are we going to lunch? <laughs> I don't need that. You'll need it. It may be too late when you need it. And if you haven't needed it yet, your day's coming. Because the world's ways run out. 
All right, back down there in verse 23 again. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. In other words, that tabernacle here on the planet, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You want an attorney? Get Jesus. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. I got more verses. I don't have any more time. Rent to own. The veil was rent so that he could own us completely. Master us completely. But we have to yield to him completely. Now, let me tell you what's going on in this room right here. I don't know what's going on outside this room. Starting with me, seat by seat by seat, everybody in this room, everybody. Today, before the day is over, you will make decisions. And you will say, I either own me or God owns me. And you will behave accordingly. I'm either going to be a slave to sin or I'm going to be a slave to God. And some of you will coast along. Whatever your little private little sin is, you will go do your thing today. You'll find a way. You say, no, I'm going to be good today. I'll wait till tomorrow. (laughs) And the sad thing is, you will come and go from here. You'll find you another church. You'll find somebody to scratch your ears. You'll just meander through life, stumbling along, and wonder what happened to my little life. You'll wake up in a nursing home if you don't die early. And you'll be laying there going, what happened to my life? You choose life. You choose the life you have chosen. If you're going to be a drunk, be a good one. But that's what you end up. It's because you choose it. You say, no, you don't understand. I have an addiction. I have a problem. Then do something about your problem. Get you a new master. Look at the bottle and say, you will not be my master anymore. I'm getting a new master. Or I've got a new master. I just don't know how to be subject to him. I've been doing what you want me to do my whole life. Or drugs or sex or whatever it is. You say, but I can't do it by myself. That's why we're sitting here together. You don't have to do it by yourself. It is a family. It is a community. It is a body that functions together. And we cover each other. Not acting like it's not happening. Go, look, we'll stand in the gap for you. Make a decision. Turn yourself in. You say, well, I keep turning myself in and then I turn myself out. Then turn yourself back in. You're going to get tired of that if nothing else. Show up. And if you can't do it by yourself, get some help. Tell somebody else. That veil was rent so that you could be owned. And you think, but if God owns me, he's going to destroy my life and I won't have any fun. I'm having more fun than I ever did before. Thank you so much for that golf clap. That makes me feel so much better. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. 
So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. You know, the people who are actually free sitting here today, if they could get up, they'd rant, they'd do some screaming. You say, oh, they need to just settle down. You know what? If you've ever been a slave to sin and you got set free and got you a new master and now you're a slave to righteousness, what leads to holiness and you have peace and joy and your life is actually working, you can't shut those people up. We need a few more of those people. Now, am I up here telling you I got no struggles? I got struggles. I'm with you in this. I just do not want to drop dead today if today is my day and stand before a holy God and go, sorry. And he said, well, is it something in the book you didn't understand? Is it something somebody didn't explain to you properly? Is it just something you just decided not to do? Was there somebody better than me? Somebody took better care of you than me? Somebody else died for you? What exactly did you trade my life and eternal life and abundant life in for? That's not going to be a good day for me. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.